conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Katie Schaefer. We're talking all about Aquaman today. We are going to keep this fairly brief, and I know we have a little bit of a discussion on DC movies in general that we're going to get to at the end, but I do think this is a movie worth talking about because I feel like it's something that has been different from what DC has done previously with the solo films for characters, and it definitely has a much different tone being directed by James Wan and just the fact that so much of it takes place, you know, under the sea. That's it, exactly. Under the sea, just like Ariel. (laughs) But I think we can go ahead and start with talking about the casting for this movie. We obviously knew that Jason Momoa was going to continue his role as Arthur Curry, aka Aquaman, but you also have Amber Heard, who I believe made a very brief appearance in Justice League. You have Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, Nicole Kidman, Dolph Lundgren. You know, the list just kind of goes on with this movie. And even though this is a movie that some of those actors might not have normally been in, you know, I didn't think Nicole Kidman was going to join these superhero ranks or anything like that, but she did. And I am very glad for it. Yeah, she totally brings something that's unexpected to this film. And I appreciated it as someone who really loves Nicole Kidman anyway. But she brings a gravitas to this film that is otherwise lacking, I would say. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where the cast is really what starts to pull this movie together along with the visuals, which we are also going to talk about because you can't really talk about Aquaman without talking about the visuals. But I felt like it was a very strong cast all around. And, you know, there were some blips in the story here and there. But for the most part, I think this is heading in the right direction. Yes, definitely. We'd seen so many dark movies with the Snyderverse where everything is apocalyptic and upsetting and dark. And this is a total turnaround. This has not only the bright visuals, but the bright storyline and a more uh, positive character development than we had seen in Man of Steel or uh, Batman v Superman. Man vs. Steel could easily be a movie as well. (laughs) That's true. I think one of the things about this cast, though, is the experience that they have behind them, too. Like we mentioned, Nicole Kidman's been in a bunch of stuff. She's on quite the run right now, I think, anyway. And Dolph Lundgren, you know, he was just in Creed Two to reprise his role as Ivan Drago from the Rocky movies. And now he's showing up in Aquaman. It's like, you know what? I respect this guy's work ethic. He can go from Creed 2 to Aquaman. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a Dolph Lundgren, like, oh, this is some guy who we know playing a role. He feeds into it and he actually does some acting. And it's acceptable or even good. You watch it and you're like, all right, it's not like it's a huge role, but it's enough that he has an effect on the story. And therefore, it's interesting to watch Dolph Lundgren get to do a little acting outside of like, you know, the typical action adventure tough guy that he typically plays. This gives him the opportunity to show some depth and some variety in his acting skills. 
And for once, Willem Dafoe was not playing some sort of creepy character. He was a very admirable character in this movie. Yes, I love that. Although I did keep waiting throughout the film. I was like, (laughs) okay, when's he going to turn? When's he going to turn? And then by the end of the movie, nope, nope, Willem Dafoe, good throughout the whole movie. And that was gratifying. I like seeing Willem Dafoe get to do a, a positive, good character instead of a lot of times he gets typecast as a villain. And he obviously has so much range. And even in, you know, a, a DC superhero movie, getting to watch him do something that's so outside his normal wheelhouse was a delight. Like there's so many performances in this that are just delightful to watch. And it feels entertaining without, you know, feeling obligatory, like so many of the previous DC movies have felt to me anyway. Yeah, I quickly want to talk about the pacing of this movie, too, because it was something that I didn't really notice while I was watching the movie. And I think that's when you have it down. You know, the movie flows well enough to where people aren't noticing that it's over two hours long. I feel like, you know, sometimes that can be the case with a lot of these superhero movies. You're like, okay, you know, they could have probably cut out 20, 30 minutes of some stuff and it would have been a perfectly fine movie. It would have been a lot tighter. And with this, you know, there were maybe some moments they could have done that with, but they weren't so over the top to where it bothered me. And I was like, wait, why are we doing this? Yeah, exactly. Like, I I always check the time of the movie before I go in and sit down and watch it. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of time for this movie. Are we really going to fill that? And yes, Aquaman, I, I'm honestly surprised at how much I liked this because all of the backstory was still interesting. Like, Timoeira Morrison and Nicole Kidman's relationship is interesting, and I wanted to see a resolution, and that takes about 15 minutes in order to get that resolution from the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. And there's all these other little parts to it that I wanted to see more of. And that, I think, is their biggest success with this, is keeping it intriguing. Keeping the viewer wanting to know more about these places, these people, and this society even more than that. And I I was so pleased to get to sit down and watch it and feel like, I want to know more. Let's see Aquaman too, instead of being like, well, I'm glad I can go home now, like I had for Justice League and Man of Steel and, you know, Batman v Superman. There was just so much drag that felt unnecessary, and this movie does away with all of that. I think their use of the flashbacks wasn't overdone either, and obviously, you know, we get that opening story where we see Atlanta and Tom Curry meet and they have Arthur and all of this and she's taken back but they use some flashbacks throughout the movie too and I think those were nicely placed because it put a few things into context for you otherwise it wouldn't have made too much sense why Volko even cared about this right and that they didn't overuse it and I think that was all James Wan's direction allowing us to see just enough to keep it going because You know, you and I have talked about many superhero movies and origin stories are often just really boring. And this allows it to mix in just enough of the origin story that we don't need a whole movie devoted to this idea. We get to see enough of it that we know how Arthur grew up and how he became this person without us spending an entire 90 minutes 
on how he grew up because it's just not interesting enough. And this gives us enough of it that we can keep going and enjoy it and move along, as it were. Yeah, it acts as an origin story while still telling a present day story, which I think is what makes it work. And, you know, we had something a little similar with Wonder Woman because it was her in the present day looking back on that big moment she had in her life and that it sort of bookends it with the present day. So it's not quite this to the same extent, which maybe that would have worked better for Wonder Woman as well. But we'll have to wait and see what they do with 1984 since that still won't be in the present day. I I assume anyway, based on that title. <laughs> right, exactly. And I'm I feel the same. Like, oh, how are you going to stretch this out a little bit? Whereas Aquaman, it kind of feels like they they lay it out for you, so now we can move on. And now I feel like the next Aquaman, we're going to get more of the kind of side bad guy uh Manta, which is Yaya Abdul-Mateen the 2nd. He gets to be a tra- a more traditional supervillain right rather than the actual villain of this movie which spoiler alert if you're if you haven't seen it yet <laughs> is King Orm played by Patrick Wilson like he's very much a traditional supervillain and we get just little bits of manta and makes you excited to see oh well how are these two going to interact going forward And that was another triumph of them that most DC movies just have not been able to capture that makes you excited to see the next film that Marvel and other superhero films have been able to do. And I think that lends us to talking about the story a little more before we dive into the visuals, which I think really round out the movie. But the story is not only Arthur's origin story, but it's a family feud story. Even when you're telling the origin story, they force Atlanta to go back. And it's one of those things where, you know, she was set to be married in this arranged marriage, which is exactly what Mira, played by Amber Heard, is going through in the present day. So there are these parallels as well. But then you have Arthur and his brother sort of going head to head for the throne. And everyone is under the impression that Atlanta has been dead this entire time, and it turns out she's not. And I do want to note that I am not saying Atlanta as in the city, because (laughs) that is something that I feel like, you know, it might be a slightly poor choice of name, but, you know, it is what it is, but it is Atlanta as in Anna, not the city. So just a little note there in case anyone else was confused on that. Yep, which I was. They didn't do the best job at differentiating these different names because there's also King Atlan. And (laughs) the whole time I was like, which person are we talking about here? So, but I don't think it'll be necessarily an issue going forward. So I'm hoping at least fingers crossed. Same here. And it's basically the family feud is at the core of it, but that's not the only thing that is being focused on you know this is something that's for the greater good of all of atlantis king orm has a very specific ruling style and you could tell that aquaman is drastically different from his half brother you know they don't even really know each other but that is very clear right off the bat as soon as we see the two of them together even before we see the two of them together Right. Every scene with Patrick Wilson as King Orm is defining 
like he, he is obviously so different. And I mean, we get a little bit more with Aquaman cause he's in justice league and he's playing the same character in justice league as he is in this, which I thought was good. I thought it's, it's good that they keep this continuity of this guy who's real snarky and kind of just doing it for his own reasons and all of that. And, and but King Orm is so different. He is making choices based on what he thinks is good for his people. Even if it's obviously the wrong choice. And I I enjoyed the different characterizations of these two people where it's part of the new world and the old world. And they play that off of the two of them very well and allow them each to be fully developed, which allows for a more, a a richer storyline between the two of them. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned Black Mana earlier though, because that character in a sense gets his origin story during this movie as well. And we get sort of that big showdown between Black Mana and Aquaman, but it all starts because Aquaman lets his father die in the submarine after, you know, he's after Mana and his crew have taken it over. And it's one of those things where there is a little sense of ruthlessness with Aquaman. And maybe that's something that will help make him a great leader. He sort of knows when to save people and when maybe it's okay for him to choose not to. And because, you know, they're not going to go to court over it or anything. I think the rules of the sea are going to be a little different than they would be if it were Superman who just left someone to die. And that is definitely something that we can talk about a little more when we get into the DC movies as a whole. But I think his origin story happening in this movie to set him up for the second movie It's something that, again, didn't feel too terribly distracting to me. I was like, you know what? We know that this is Black Mana from that opening moment with him and Aquaman. And so we know he's going to come back. There's no way he has something that traumatic happen to him. And then he doesn't come back with a vengeance. So I think, you know, even though he was in the movie maybe a little more than he needed to be, I think it wasn't so overbearing that it distracted from that family feud storyline. Right. It feels like a setup, which is good, in my opinion, because these kinds of movies need to have a continuity if they're going to tell four, five, six stories. If you're if DC is aiming to be a little more like Marvel, where they have these 20 year long uh, storylines so I was totally okay with it because now we don't need to go into that with Aquaman too. We can just get right into the whole story with how Manta is going to attack him. And it gives us a setup for how Manta discovers who he is and what his reasoning is, which feels very genuine and legitimate almost. That's like, well, you let his dad die. And obviously someone's going to be upset if you let their dad die. And so it feels worth uh, the conflict that's coming. And especially because Aquaman throughout the movie, like you can tell he's conflicted about it and feels bad. It's not a choice where he's like, well, whatever, that's how it is. It's a choice that he's like, maybe I did the wrong thing. And that internal character conflict makes for a more interesting story. So it sets up Aquaman 2 as something that I'm interested in already instead of now you have to start fresh and bring in a new reason for me to get excited about this movie. Yeah, it's something that I felt like wasn't 
too on the nose either. It's like, okay, yes, it's obvious that he's going to come back, but we don't know just how powerful he's going to be when he comes back. I mean, we do if we are the group of people who also reads the comics and knows at least a little bit about these characters. And admittedly, I haven't read too many Aquaman comics. I think I checked it out when DC launched their Rebirth storyline a few years back. And right. it's something the where... The New 52. Rebirth happened after the New 52, actually. So I don't recall if I checked out oh, the New yes, 52. Right. Yeah, they've they've done a few. I think New 52 was... 2010 2011 somewhere around there and then in I think 2015 maybe they did rebirth but it's one of those things where there are so many comics it's so hard to possibly keep up with everything and you know it's one of those things where if you aren't paying attention to them too closely you know you can miss something like the fact that they launched rebirth or something something like that so it's hard to keep up with every single character that has a movie coming out with marvel it's a little easier for me because i subscribe to marvel unlimited so we'll see if now with dc's streaming service dc universe if it makes it easier to keep up with movies comics and all of that since that's all sort of wrapped together in one app it's something i still have to dive into who knows i might do an episode on that eventually if i can find someone else who has used it as much as i have but with aquaman you know, I don't know how many people read the Aquaman comics necessarily or would be inclined to because Jason Momoa does not look like the Aquaman of the comics. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. I don't need a blonde haired Aquaman just because the comics said so. Right. Exactly. I'm I'm OK with comics being different than movies, being different than video games and so on and so forth. Like, I'm OK with multiple different stories because that's how comics are. You know, if we looked to the Marvel Universe, uh, Wolverine has how many comics that he's in? Uh, <laughs> All when of them. I was working in a comic shop in the early 2010s, uh, he had all of them. Exactly. It was like 14 that he was in. So many to the point where his character commented on it in an episode or in a an issue of like Astonishing X-Men or something. It was ridiculous. So I'm okay with it because it's all just different stories of this character, different interpretations. And that's the part that's interesting to me. I want to see these different interpretations because some will appeal to me on one level, some will appeal on another, and some I'll be like, this isn't for me. This is for other people. And I would much rather have that with Aquaman. And it feels like that's kind of the route they're going with these new DC movies, which I think is a much more positive change in regards to, you know, how they were doing it before, where everything is kind of based on this dark world a la, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman, which it's time to move on. And they (laughs) have, and I'm excited to see what we're going to get out of them going forward. Yeah. And before we dive into more of the DC movies in general and what DC is doing with that, we have to talk about the visuals for this movie because that is one of the things that stood out the most. And I don't know if it's just because I watched it in IMAX or not. I imagine the visuals are still good no matter what format you see this in. But this was actually the first movie I ever saw in IMAX. And I felt like it was a pretty good choice because there is Yes. A lot of CGI in this. They are very heavy on the CGI. And it's one of those things where I feel like you have to just go see it for yourself to really 
understand what is going on but the underwater scenes they looked good to me and it's something that seems so hard to build you know they're not trying to recreate this in the way that spongebob lives under the sea you know they're making this world look (laughs) as realistic as they possibly can while still having that you know fantasy element to it because there are creatures that probably don't actually exist i don't know how many sea animals or people are out there looking like skeletons and things like that so you have a lot that's in here that just sort of baffles you because of not only the scale that they do it on but just how much detail there is. Yeah, and that was another thing I was surprised by because in previous films, like they've done a decent job with the special effects. Not not great. Not something like Ready Player One, which I did not care for that movie, but the visuals are pretty decent most of the time. Or, you know, Infinity War or something like that. Like they just hadn't put in the effort. And in this, they really do. It felt magical. Like, I I classify this film more as, like, it's a fantasy superhero movie as opposed to a superhero fantasy movie because there are so many beautiful scenes that are utterly fantastical. Like, there's multiple different races in this film and locations, and each one is totally different, and they have all these amazing ideas that they cram onto the screen that are entirely CGI you know, there, there's so much animation going on in this film that it's so rewarding because it gives you, oh, I see, this is how they get around. You know, this is what they use instead of cars. This is how they live. And it gives you this great sense of how their world works without needing dialogue to describe it. And that's something that the DC universe until now has really missed out on is the magical, fantastical level of their worlds because DC is, you know, (laughs) they have Zatanna for Christ's sake. It it is a much more embracing of fantasy than the Marvel universe is. And that's what I love about it. And so seeing them go for it with this was so rewarding to watch these beautiful worlds that they've built with generally really good CGI. There's a couple scenes where I was like, I can see the rough edges, but generally this film was a pleasure to watch instead of a chore, which it kind of was in Justice League. Given how much CGI there is in this movie, though, it is amazing that there were only a few places where it was like, oh, maybe not so much. (laughs) Yeah, there is so much CGI in this. And kudos to them for being able to portray the actor's facial expressions and emotions and all of that within this CGI environment. Because many scenes take place under the sea. And so I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, you know, mocap involved in this. Right. And they still managed to capture the actor's expressions in a satisfying way to keep the emotional balance of the story moving forward. And that was a delight to get to watch it and not feel like I have to piece together like, okay, kind of like how they usually do the, the youngifying, which they do do with Nicole Kidman in this and it doesn't work the best but if you watch like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where they youngify him and it's doesn't work the best in this it works and it was great to be able to just relax and watch it. I think it helps too that Nicole Kidman does not look her age anyway. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> yes, it does. Whoever she has giving her skincare advice, they're a genius. Yeah, I think these visuals are something that a lot of superhero movies can aspire to. You know, even in Marvel, like you said, with Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the movies, it's like, okay, that did not look so great. And obviously, technology has advanced a lot since some of those specific Marvel movies, especially earlier on with, you know, the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, I thought Iron Man, right. the first one, did a pretty good job given it was now going on 11 years ago and even maybe a little before that since you know if a movie comes out in 2008 does not mean all the work was done in 2008 so right it's one of those exactly. things where over time I think we're just going to be able to see how this keeps getting better and better which will benefit characters like Aquaman who don't necessarily live in the world that the rest of us do even the other superheroes and I say that as it still being a very fictional world <laughs> right and and you can tell it's not magical cgi where you know you can't tell the difference between the real world and the underworld and the undersea world but it's enough that you can suspend your disbelief and that's all i ask which is a big ask i'm not gonna lie but you can do that with this movie and that's far better than dc has done before this just being able to sit down and watch the movie and relax and not kind of have to force yourself to get into it was a big step forward for them. And it was so good because I love DC. Like I love their comics and their characters and all of it. And so it was so exciting to get to watch something that wasn't, you know, lacking like some of their previous stuff has been. Yeah. I quickly want to touch on a few technical details like box office numbers and Rotten Tomato score and everything like that because the budget for this movie was $160 million, which is a ton of money, Oof. a lot of which you have to imagine went to that CGI yes. budget there. And obviously, you know, Nicole Kidman is a huge star, so she's going to get her money. And I don't know specifics on salaries for any of the actors and actresses in this, but that's just what I imagine happened is, you know, you're going to have to give Nicole Kim in a little bit more than you would someone else. But right. I hope so. Yeah. It's almost made a billion dollars. And as of January 10th, it's at over 978 million worldwide and only 270 million of that has come from the U.S. So this is big overseas. And that's not too surprising because comics have sort of become bigger and bigger everywhere. And we're seeing a lot more diversity, which I think helps a lot with those overseas gross numbers and everything like that. But that number is fantastic for DC. And like you said, you know, we love a lot of these characters. I would argue that some of my favorite superheroes come from the DC world, not Marvel necessarily. And it's one of those things where, yes, I have been pretty critical of the DC movies, as as have a lot of other people. And, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a ginormous critic. You know, it's not like anyone really knows me by name, aside from, you know, friends and some people who listen to this podcast. But it's one of those things where you can sort of tell that Marvel just got behind the style they wanted to do and wanted to go with, and they just ran with it. And even though there were ups and downs and everything like that over the last 10, 11 years of Marvel movies, the fans have understood what they were doing enough and what they were leading up to, to where, you know, I think they were a little more okay with it. But 
DC has been so off kilter, I think, since the Christopher since the Christopher Nolan Batman movies to where they didn't really quite know what they wanted to do with all of their characters. And I think that's more where they stumbled than with, you know, the movies or the actors themselves. And I think while some acting or while some casting choices I did not agree with at all, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, they got Wonder Woman right enough for people to be excited again. And I think Aquaman sort of just adds to that, you know, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 64 from the critics and 79% from the audience, which, you know, 64%, not great, but not as bad as some of the other DC movies in the recent past. Yeah, it, it's definitely a step up for them. And that's rewarding because there's, it, it's kind of been so disappointing to watch the DC universe. Like, come on, guys, we really want to see better. We want to see more. Like, even for those people who really enjoy these movies, it felt like they just weren't able to deliver because they didn't embrace the characters as they are. And that, I think, was the biggest difference. Like, Marvel embraced their characters as they are. They knew what kind of tone they wanted to take. They knew how their characters were. And we'll see if they're able to succeed with that after, you know, Infinity Wars Endgame or the Avengers Endgame next year when they're trying to rebuild a whole This unit. year now. Yeah, this year. Oh, my God. It's 2019. <laughs> and It's okay. Still early on. <laughs> I know. And with DC, like, they have a different tone. And DC needed to embrace that tone. And it feels like that's what they've done with this. And I am ready to watch a whole new set of movies. Like, if they can make a Flash movie, you know, a new Batman, uh, Catwoman, all kinds of new tonal shifts that caters to their characters and their character style of story, I am down. You know, like the Birds of Prey, I would love to see a Huntress movie. Holy crap. That would get all my money. I would go see it like four times, even if it's trash, because I love the character of Huntress and she just doesn't get any love, even though she's probably about the equivalent to like a Black Widow in regards to the popularity and interest of DC characters when we're looking at the Batman universe. So there's so many options, and I'm really hoping they'll embrace those options rather than trying to, you know, recreate the success that Marvel has had because Marvel is different, and we don't need to be the same. We need to be different in order to engage people on a different level so they'll come see your movies. One of the nice things that I'm noticing with DC is even though they've been announcing a lot of things, they're not releasing on quite the same intense schedule as Marvel. I believe in 2019, we have Shazam coming in April, and there's the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker in October, and that's it for this year. So those aren't even, you know, two movies that necessarily would connect and I think that's fine I don't think like you said they need to do the same thing as Marvel and I think that's what they were trying to do when they did Man of Steel Batman v Superman Wonder Woman Justice League and even Suicide Squad to an extent you know they had to throw Batman in there to sort of connect it to that world and it's one of those things it's like yeah sure you can have Batman show up in these movies you know it would kind of be weird if you started doing a bunch of 
Batman's villains and focused on his rogues gallery and didn't bother with Batman at all. You know, you know, I don't know if we can expect him in this Joker movie, but you know, a few minutes of Batman, I'd be fine with that in a Joker movie. I don't think it needs to be half Batman, half Joker, but it's one of those things where I'm very interested in seeing how this goes. And I know in 2020, that's when we'll get the second Wonder Woman movie. So it'll be a little bit of a break between those two movies, but not too terribly long. And I think Wonder Woman sort of has more staying power right now, just because people and, you know, audiences and critics seem to think they finally hit on something right with Wonder Woman. Right, exactly. They found out that, oh, hey, look at this. They made something unique and something that fit in the style of the character. And hey, it worked. It worked gangbusters. And I feel like they kind of tried to force Zack Snyder to be Kevin Feige, and you can't do that. You have to let each individual make their worlds as they are, and like Zack Snyder can make a certain kind of world, but it doesn't necessarily translate to all these different kinds of superheroes that DC has. And maybe now they'll be willing to let all of that go yeah, and allow each each character to have their own world developed around them because that's how DC succeeds. It's not through like the Marvel style where you bring everything together because Batman, Superman, Aquaman, the flash, those are all incredibly different characters. And like, personally, I would love to see an adult teen Titans movie that's given the same care and treatment as Aquaman because I'm a huge teen Titans fan. I have read, years of their comics and I would love to see that but you have to treat it in a way that will be appropriate to those characters instead of just applying one size fits all because Marvel is much more they all kind of generally fit into the same box they have the same ideals the same processes the same uh, ways of handling things that DC allows the comics at least allows their characters to approach things differently And I'd love to see them embrace that. Yeah, Marvel also tied in their TV shows a little more. You know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. definitely played a role in sort of intertwining with the Captain America movies and things like that. And that's something that DC has stayed away from. And maybe it's to DC's benefit, in a sense, because they have something going with some of their shows, you know, they have this whole Arrowverse on the CW and everything like that, and they're adding Batwoman to that soon, hopefully. They at least have a pilot ordered for it. Who knows on if we'll see a full season of her in a in her own solo show. But it's one of those things where, you know, some companies can get away with doing things one way, but not every company is going to be able to follow suit. And I think that's something Sony came to terms with when they lent Marvel Spider-Man back basically for the MCU and right Disney doesn't seem to have as many rights problems to deal with as Marvel did so Marvel didn't have a choice but to go big or go home basically right they needed everything to tie together to get people to kind of buy in to their series of films it was much less piecemeal where you know you can watch Wonder Woman and not watch Man of Steel or Batman vs. Superman or Justice League, and you can get as much enjoyment out of it as any of those other films. I I would say more, but for a lot of people, maybe (laughs) just as much. Yeah, well, we 
strayed from Aquaman quite a bit at the end here, but I think this is a <laughs> we did a good stepping stone to what comes next because you know Aquaman and Shazam are two movies that I couldn't really see getting the Zack Snyder treatment. Like you can't make Shazam a dark character, even if you tried. He is a child, no, and then a man child. So <laughs> you know, I am so excited for that one. I love uh, the kid who's acting as Shazam, and I am just on board one hundred percent with whatever they're doing because it just looks fun, and I love fun, especially yeah. after Infinity War, where everything is super depressing. I just want to see something fun, and this looks like DC is going to fulfill that. Yeah, and I would say for Marvel, Infinity War is a great example of things getting very dark very quickly, and it doesn't really reflect poorly on any of the things that came before that. It's like, these are still dire situations. This is just the most dire, and they didn't need those sort of dark overtones that DC was using. But anyway, this is not a Marvel versus DC podcast, at least not yet. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think <laughs> we'll have one someday. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say that we both enjoyed Aquaman for what it was, though. Yes, I 100% agree. Like, if you're looking for a, a really, what I like to call big stupid fun, which if you have ever listened to me talk about these kinds of movies on any podcast or read one of my reviews, I talk a lot about big stupid fun, and this definitely qualifies. It's a movie where you can go sit down and enjoy yourself and leave feeling like you had a good time, and Aquaman definitely qualifies for that, and I was 100% on board with what they had to offer. It is not a perfect movie, but by any means, but it doesn't need to be. It just doesn't need to be. You can watch this and enjoy yourself and just be okay with it. Don't stress about it. Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Aquaman and company, I guess you can say. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's always fun chatting with you about movies. And, you know, for the most part, I think we've been in agreement on all the things we've talked about so far. So it'll be interesting. Maybe one day there will be something we disagree on, but that will have to wait because it hasn't <laughs> Maybe happened someday. yet. <laughs> Maybe no, one day. it has not. Every time we talk, we're like, this is how it is. Everybody agrees with us, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's fine if you don't. You don't all have to be like Katie and myself and agree. So, you know, totally fine. 100%. You do you. Yeah. We support that. <laughs> and I know superhero movies aren't for everyone. My mom could not care less, yet she still listens to all of these episodes. So, you know, it, that that's the thing she does, and I am very appreciative of it. But yeah, I think... We can go ahead and button this conversation up. And again, thank you, Katie. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.